It's arguably the biggest church planning organization in North America and is responsible for some of the largest and fastest growing churches in the United States. But as my guest today will argue, the Association of Related Churches is not operating on biblical principles. And it's no wonder so many of its churches and pastors are embroiled in scandal. Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce, and joining me today is Jeff Thompson, co-pastor of Gospel City Church in Vancouver, Canada. He's also a former pastor with the Association of Related Churches, also known as ARC. In 2012, Jeff says he was enamored with ARC's model of launching large, of starting a church with a big capital investment, top-notch worship team, and professional marketing. But when that effort flopped, Jeff began to question ARC's methods. He also began questioning the ARC culture that seemed to glorify success but dismiss pastors' moral failures. Today, Jeff believes ARC is an unbiblical church movement. And in this podcast, he'll give you an inside look to this incredibly influential and powerful organization. But first, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Marquardt of Barrington. Judson University is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marquardt of Barrington. Marquardt is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marquardt, are men of character. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Well, again, joining me is Jeff Thompson, the co-pastor of Gospel City Church in Vancouver, Canada. He's also a former pastor of a Calvary Chapel in South Florida. And before that, he was a worship pastor of a tiny church in Temple, Texas. So, Jeff, welcome. And I'm so glad you could join us. Thank you for having me, Julie. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. And you're speaking very publicly about ARC and the criticism. What made you uh, want to come forward and speak publicly about this now? I was on Reddit, and somewhere in that wormhole, I came upon a, a subreddit that's called uh, All About C-O-T-H, and C-O-T-H uh, is an abbreviation for Church of the Highlands, Chris Hodges Church in Alabama, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of disillusionment going on about uh, some things happening at Church of the Highlands right now that, as respectfully as I can say it, are very valid concerns. And, and what I noticed as I read through was just uh, a lot of hurt among people who had been attending Church of the Highlands, which is a massive church. And they were all gathered together in, in this one place online on, on Reddit. And I just had such a heart for these people who had spent years and years and years in the church. And they were now questioning big things like, do, do I even go to a church? Um, mm. Can I trust anybody ever again? Are all pastors liars? And, and as a pastor who has has no personal connection to that situation or church. Um, I just began commenting and just trying to encourage people uh, who were feeling some of that pain. Things like people who've given and, and served for years at a church just wanted to encourage them that that none of that is is wasted. You know, if they mm. did that for the Lord, He saw all of it. And it's not a waste just because the person at the top or some key leaders have, have made some decisions that are very questionable. And so through that, uh, I started 
answering some questions uh, that people had. Yeah, well, and I appreciate that. And I should mention, you brought up Chris Hodges and Church of the Highlands. That's kind of the mothership, isn't it, of ARC churches? That church has been a major player, and Chris Hodges as well, uh, a major player. So you'll be hearing quite a bit about that uh, in, in this podcast. But let's back up a little bit to 2012, when you went to plant a church in Vancouver, Canada, and you decided to go with the Association of Related Churches, or ARC. What was it about ARC that attracted you and you said, hey, this is an, an organization I want to go with? Sure. So so when you're, when you're church planning the way you measure success rate is really after two to three years, is the church still viable? Does it still mm -hmm. exist financially or has it had to shut down? And so you look at it and, and ARC's success rate was through the roof compared to any other church planning model. I think it was, it was something like 88% when I got involved of their churches hmm. were financially self-sustaining within two years. And so, yeah, ARC looked very, very appealing. Their success rate in terms of viability was through the roof. They offered a system. Uh, and, and when you're church planning, that's, that's very appealing. And I, fe I felt a little bit out of place from the beginning because we always felt called to be an expositional Bible teaching church to, to teach through the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And that's that's not really the ARC methodology. And so we felt a little bit out of place sort of from the beginning, but I thought, but we can take all their help when, in all these other systems that we don't know anything about. And so that that's why I got involved initially. Hmm. And you also had, or I've heard you use this term, launch large. What does launch large mean when we're talking about ARC churches? You know, isn't there an idea that with ARC, if you come up with like 50K, we're going to give you 50K. We'll match you and there'll be some funding. And so you're going to be able to hire a whole programming team and you're going to be able to do like a really great service from day one as opposed to, we're meeting in our living room till we get to 25 and then yes yeah you know maybe i mean right i mean is this kind of the idea launch large actually has it, its roots um in the seeker sensitive movement so the the seeker sensitive movement began to essentially say you know we, we're in competition with everything else that takes up the world's weekends. We're in competition with Disneyland. We're in competition with pro sports, which is just not true. Jesus doesn't compete with anybody. Uh, he stands alone. And so everything had to be excellent. And so you're going for that wow factor and the branding and the signage is amazing. And your very first service, you've got an incredible high quality worship team leading worship with lighting and outstanding sound. And you have, you have all your programs ready to go pretty much from day one. You've got a youth group, you've got a, a growth track and growth track is modeled off of Rick Warren's base system is, is very similar to what it is. Mm -hmm. And the idea and the, and the pitch that ARC actually gives you, they use the phrase, um, you can launch hard or you can launch with the ARC, you know? And that's, that's the pitch is it's gonna be easier and better if you launch with this model. The idea is that by launching large, you can skip over these classic church growth uh, church planning barriers of 25, 50, 75, 100. You can just launch to 150 plus and be functioning as a relatively large church from day one. That's the goal and that's the pitch with the ARC. And it's worked. I mean, it's been wildly successful and they've had, the ARC has had some of the fastest growing churches in America. 
they launched really big, they grew really big, and now they're some of these churches embroiled in scandal. And, and this is one of my main questions. I started hearing about ARC churches from other pastors who were in the area telling me about what the heck is going on at these ARC churches. Like, I'm, I'm seeing what this pastor is doing, and, you know, I'm all for uh, churches growing, but, but man, the stuff that's happening behind the scenes. And then I found out here in Chicago, after I reported on James McDonald and Harvest Bible Chapel, and not just James McDonald, but every executive pastor, which I love that title, but we won't get into that. Um, but every executive <laughs> pastor at Harvest um, ends up resigning, including James McDonald's two sons, Landon and Luke McDonald. Well, Luke goes off to California, uh, does a stint at a church in LA, and then he comes back. Now he's planning a church with Ark. The Ark. The Ark. So he's, and I'm like, Luke McDonald, I've, I've published stories. So if, if that's a new name to you, just go to my website and, and, and put in the search Luke McDonald, and you'll see that he's, you know, every bit the bully that James McDonald was. He was a part of the system. He, he enabled the system. I mean, I just have uh, really horrible stories from numerous people. It's not just one person, it's numerous people coming forward. And I'm like, what on earth is Ark doing platforming this guy to start a new church. He, he should never be in ministry again. So here he is planning a church. And this is my question. Did they do vetting with you? Because I'm seeing all of these scandals at our churches and I'm wondering, it sounds like it's a business model and they're trying to attract you to their business model. I'm not hearing a church model where we're jealous for the integrity of the church and that every pastor, like when you go on the mission field, man, you got to go through, I've had people that have had to go through the vetting for missions and it's rigorous. And a lot of people don't make it, you know, depending on your, your church, your missions organization, but how are these pastors getting through? What kind of vetting did you go through to become an ARC pastor? But you, you go to an initial essentially vision pitch event um, if you've watched any of the Lululemon documentaries that are out there, they're they're really fascinating. But they mm -hmm. they talk about how they have these really high energy, um, hyper positive events all the time. And if and if anyone raises concerns, it's 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 sort of pushed to the side. And they said, well, we're going to have positive energy here. We want to make sure that we have you know affirming thoughts going on here. And, and what can happen within the arc is the terminology they use is life-giving. Everything is about life-giving culture, but it's the same sort of idea. Everything we do is gonna be positive. Every speech we have is gonna be positive and there, there's nothing wrong with being happy. It, you know, positivity is contagious. It's great to be with a bunch of happy, fun, successful looking people. And, and there's certainly something within you as a, as a human that goes, oh, I, you know, I want, I want that, you know, we're, we're all human beings. And so you go to this event. And, and so after that, you, you fill out your application, which is pretty, pretty extensive online. And when I did it, there were some, I believe, online interviews, and they, they look into a couple of, of key things. They, they look into the health of your marriage, they look into the health of your personal finances. Um, and they they look into your your basic abilities through conversations. And then after you've gone through that and, and you've been approved, uh, you get access to their whole online uh, training program that has multiple mini courses on every aspect of ministry. You can think spreadsheets on what to buy, what products, everything mm. like that. And uh, and then you have sort of a checklist that you you need to work through. Um, like you have to have a launch team of of 30 people. You mentioned the one thing you, you raise up to 
uh, a certain amount of, of funds and you have to have a launch team as well when I did it and then they will match. When I did it, it was up to $30,000. It's, it's not a gift, it's given as an interest-free loan. And so you commit to, to pay that back with a percentage of your church's income. And then after you've paid back, you continue to give a percentage of your church's income to the ARC. So that's in the contract. Yes, it is. Okay, because I talked to Greg Surratt and he said, no, it's all, all giving back to the ARC is voluntary. When I did it, it was a requirement. And I believe the amount was 2% of a church's income was, it was a minimum of that amount. And I was under the impression that that was required till I withdrew from the ARC about two years ago. Hmm. Um, so it, it was that way for a significant period of time. And I can't verify or deny what it might be today. Well, I will just say that what you just told me, 2%, was what I was told uh, by another our church. So it, it jives with what I was told. But again, Greg Surratt, who is uh, one of the, the leaders of the ARC, told me it's all voluntary, which does not seem to jive with what, what I was told. But very interesting. So for you, it does sound like there was some vetting there, at least, you know, ostensibly there was. You had to go through this, this application process. I can tell you, when Elevation joined the ARC, they did not sit Stephen Furtick down and evaluate his personal finances at his marriage. You know, there, there is a certain level of church and of uh, celebrity where you are where you are fast tracked through. There, there's just no no way that these guys are going through the process that that regular church planners are going through. Uh, you know, like in in the time that I was there, I saw large people come in join the ARC and go straight on to the ARC lead team um, and, and mm -hmm. things like this. So, so there is a lot of, a lot of networking, especially at the, at the higher levels. Um, and there is a, if you said, what are the core characteristics of the ARC? They're extremely big on second chances and, and all these sorts of things. And, and as I'm sure you, you, you can speak to Julie are, you know, the concern is not grace. I think every believer believes in, in grace and in forgiveness and in reconciliation. I think the concern is that restoration, biblical restoration can't happen without biblical repentance. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the real concern is there, there, there's multiple, multiple, it's the reason, you know, our church left the ark is just multiple, multiple examples of uh, a real lack of repentance, but then let's just restore them anyway. And let's just keep going. And we don't need a negative confession. We're going forward in faith. And that's not positive thinking. That's a lot of <laughs> negative energy. Man, I mean, this repentance that's thing. It. And it's become such a huge problem. And, and we'll get into that. I do want to dive into that. All the fallen pastors that have been a part of that. And, you know, the question isn't whether or not these people should be restored to the church and whether or not they should be forgiven. But the question is, you can be restored to the church. Are you restored to a position of leadership? Yes. When the Bible says very clearly that you should be above reproach and have a good reputation. And that that takes an awful lot of time once it's lost, if it can be recovered at all. And so that that is a major, major issue. But let's continue with your story and then we'll come back to it. Because sure. the way that this model works, right, is, again, you, you do this this launch. It's really professional. You got everything together. And you'll get a certain amount of people that first week because you put out a bunch of flyers, right? I mean, like you blanket the place. Like how many thousand flyers did you put out inviting people? You do this massive mail out about a week before you do your first launch service. And they had, um, they tracked all the statistics of churches that had done it. And, and the figures were incredible. When I did it on average, if you sent out 
60,000 flyers across your city, you would have on average 350 people show up on your launch Sunday. Which is huge. It's I mean, insane for a launch Sunday for a first <laughs> yeah. church. I mean, you can tell why, you know, if, if you're in the vision pitch conference, your eyes light up if you're a church planter, you know, because you, you're thinking maybe, well, maybe for my first few years, like I'll just be killing myself working four jobs to make this thing work. And then suddenly you're like, holy smokes, like I could just jump over all of that. And, um, and then they tell you your second week that you would expect about 50% of the people to come back. And then you'd be off and running. So if you had 350, you'd have 175 your second week, and then you'd probably settle around 140, 150 at the end of that first month. But you're you're off and running. You're a church of 150 people after after a month. In the Bible Belt, in America, yeah, in the Bible where, Belt. Okay, and so this is where I, it's so interesting because, and I think honestly, it's probably becoming less and less true as we become more and more post-Christian, even here in the United States. But uh, Canada, you've been there for a long time. So you're in Vancouver, which my understanding of Vancouver, I've been there once, incredible, beautiful city. Um, but it's very post-Christian, very, very small number of evangelicals. There's very few people who are saying, oh, great, there's a new church in town. This sounds great. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you launch. Um, how does that go for you? We had 68 people for our first Sunday, 68 people. And I remember driving home because it was a low point in ministry for me because I ran the numbers on the cost of printing and mailing in Canada. And I realized I would have had twice as many people if I just walked around and told people, I'll give you $100 to come to my church yeah. on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I would have had, had twice as many people. And, uh, so, so we did it. We, we launched large. We had the whole production, worship team, light everything. Uh, everything looked mm -hmm. great. 68 first week and the 50% thing happens. 34 the second week and then just trickles mm -hmm. down, 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 down to, I remember the low point was 12 people. And, mm -hmm. and you have a, when you have more people on the stage than you do in the congregation, th this is not working. When I look back, I, I wish mm -hmm. that we would have started in our living room and then moved to our garage and then just done that organically because it would have taken so much pressure off. It would have, you know, lowered the cost so much. So your church, I mean, it didn't happen according to the ARC plan. You basically had to start over again, but it wasn't just that. I mean, obviously that would cause you to rethink, hmm, what about this, this whole system? But then you started culturally seeing some things. And, and we've already hinted at this. You know, there's a lot of um, fallen pastors who, who have just been incorporated into the ark or they launch from the ark. And after they fall, man, they're just, they're just brought right back in. But I mean, some of the big ones, John Gray, for example, Relentless Church. I mean, this guy, I mean, how many times does he have to admit that he's had affairs before? And again, affairs, when, when it's somebody that's in the church, that's not really an affair. That's clergy sexual abuse because of the, you know, the, the kind of power differential that's there. He's on the lead team at ARC. We've got Dino still. Rizzo. Yeah, still. I, I mean, I can't believe I went on. Actually, I went on the website before we even recorded. And I'm like, I'm going to go check. He's still there. We've got Dino, <laughs> Dino Rizzo, who's the executive director of ARC. This is a man who uh, admitted to an inappropriate relationship, which again, that's kind of minimalistic, never really told about w what the details were of this relationship he had when he was a megachurch pastor. 
He gets replatformed there at Church of the Highlands with Chris Hodges. Next thing you know, now he's he's the executive director of a church planting organization. And then, you know, more recently, we've just had, I mean, there's an ARC has been named uh, in a lawsuit, either ARC or ARC executives uh, with a, a, a church Joshua Monty's church down in Florida, where Joshua Monty was an ARC pastor. And then it was found that uh, there's a woman who accusing him of sexually assaulting her. We've got Jason Delgado in Vibrant Church in Mississippi, who, again, sexual harassment. And then they're saying ARC covered it up when we brought it to them. They didn't do anything. We've got Mekon Carter, who went from a big ARC church in Yakima, Washington, comes kind of quietly to Church of the Highlands. Then the woman that says that he raped her goes public with it. And then, you know, Church of the Highlands says, oh, we didn't know. And they pull him from their staff. He kind of quietly, it's quietly as they could, leaves. Now we've got Tavner Smith, who just at Venue Church, again, one of the fastest growing churches in America. But, you know, we got these churches there, you know, as the saying says, a mile wide and an inch deep. He's now admitted that he's had, again, I would call it sexual misconduct. It's not an affair when you have it with somebody who's on staff at your church. You're the, her boss. So it's just, it's thing after thing after thing. And this philosophy of restoring these fallen pastors, Church of the Highlands now is building a $4.5 million a lodge to restore pastors. Like we don't have enough wolves out there. We need to get more back in there. I mean, it is unbelievable what's going on. And you began seeing this. So, so tell me about your process when you started seeing this. You know, when did you kind of start to think, hmm, there's this is just not the, passing the smell test? Yeah, I, um, you know, when it when it happened a, a, a few times and I would hear about it, um, it would immediately try to assume the best. You know, there, there's a few bad apples. It's, it's going to be the case no matter what denomination or what network you're a part of. But then it just it just got to the point where I, you know, I, I'd been to recently to an art conference um, down in California, uh, art conference West Coast, and I and I just remember as I would hear these reports, like it, it would get to the point where the the percentage of speakers that I had seen at that art conference that had had some type of moral failure, like just became absurd. It was like mm. a quarter of the speakers at the conference. And I'd seen a lot of a lot of speakers and they mm. they'd all been given time on time on stage. And 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 it just got to the point where I said, you know, this is like this is cultural. There's something I, I didn't know how to describe it more specifically than that. But just this is this is cultural. And I, I, I would begun to be very concerned with the way it was being handled, which is that arc overseers would come in and tell the church something's happened. Uh, he's a good man, you know, um, God's still got a plan for this church and you just need to trust us to take care of it behind the scenes. You don't need to know the details. Hmm. And, and I, and I just thought this is, this is really problematic. And then, um, you know, I like one of the things I appreciate about you, Julie, is, is just that you, you don't name names unless you know the facts. And so that, that's, that's what I, I, I want to do too. And so if I, if I'm naming names, it's because the facts have come out. This is not gossip. This is not hearsay. And I, I just want people to know that is one of the big issues was when uh, when the BLM uh, riots were happening and everything like that. And when the George mm -hmm. Floyd incident happened, um, and I apologize if this sounds crass to anyone, but but among every church that wanted to be culturally relevant, there was a scramble to say, we've got to get we've got to get somebody who's black to be on the podium this Sunday to talk about this. It, I don't have another word for it. It was an absolute scramble. And um, and I remember um, Furtick got John Gray uh, had him at yeah. his church, and I 
And I just remember, mm. at, and that was at the time, by the way, where, where all these allegations had come out that he had, he, and, and it come out because he publicly went in front of his church, essentially admitted to an affair to his church, actually made a joke about sleeping on the sofa, and then basically said, and we're just going to keep going on. And, and that, that was it. Like, like that was it. We're just going to go on like, like nothing happened. Hmm. And, and that, that was public knowledge at the time. And I remember thinking, what, like, what are we doing, you know, presenting someone? And, and then also what, what makes you a specialist on biblical race relations at, at, at this point? And, hmm. and I, I was disillusioned culturally by the fact that, you know, when, when all that's going on, what, what a church needs is it needs its pastor to faithfully point people to the scriptures. Uh, we don't need a societal or sociological commentary on anything. We, with everything, we need to go back to the scriptures. And I was so uh, disillusioned with John Gray's presence at, at Elevation that I, it just felt to me like this is, this is, you know, emblematic of the entire massive problem. You bring up Furtick, and I'm just realizing as you're speaking, it, it's it's not just sex. It's money, sex, and power, right? I mean, you've got the power, you've got that charisma, you've got now this huge church, uh, in many cases, uh, looking up to you, giving you platform, worshiping you. Um, and then, you know, Furtick built that huge, you know, multi-million dollar home and, and just the amount of money. And this has become an issue at a bunch of these art churches where they're taking so much money for themselves. There's no oversight. So when you get to ecclesia, ecclesiastical problems and governance problems, um, there's a couple of things. There's one, the Moses model, which I want to talk about that with you. There's also uh, there's no local elders. You have these pastors at other mega churches within ARC. Supposedly, they're out of town, so they don't know what the heck's going on. They're from out of town. They're supposedly providing oversight, and it's a little bit like the the fox watching the hen house. So many of these pastors have proven themselves to be that. So let, let's just start, though, with the Moses model. Tell me about that and why that's just such a horrible unbiblical model that seems to be ignoring the new covenant that we're in. The Moses model basically says God raises up specific leaders for a specific task for a specific time. Uh, this is what we see him do with Moses. That's where the term comes from. This is what we see him do with Joshua, with Gideon, with the judges, with multiple uh, Old Testament saints. And so Calvary Chapel would say that's that's what a, a church leadership structure should look like. It's one especially anointed person. And then the, the church and the people need to rally around him and just support him as he fulfills and works out the vision that God has called him to. And so what, what you would find generally in, in Calvary Chapel churches is they have a board because you're legally required to have a board if you're a registered charity. Um, but but the board is, is, is not there to hold a pastor accountable or anything like that. The, the view is we're here to empower you to do whatever you want to do. Even in most Calvary chapels and most Southern Baptist churches, the, the board is not made up of pastors. They're not ministry people. Um, often they're the most influential people in the church or they're the, the most savvy business people. Sometimes they're the biggest givers. And obviously this, this is not always the case, but they're not, they're not pastors. And I would argue that when you look in the Bible, the term elder is a synonym for pastor. These are the people doing the leading the ministries of the church. 
And so the one thing that I would say is you you cannot claim that you have a board that keeps you accountable if it consists of people who are not in the trenches doing ministry with you every day. And the reason I say that is because they don't they don't know you. They don't see you at your worst when you're under pressure and under stress. They don't see how you treat the staff. They don't see how you interact with congregants all the time. And, and in the ARC, that effect is amplified because, as you said, they, they call it the Board of Overseers. But everyone's Board of Overseers generally consists of other ARC pastors. And so they're getting together twice a year to, to hang out and have a good time because they enjoy hanging out. But they are whoever they present themselves to be during those two meetings. And so if someone is, is not actually doing life with you, they can't hold you accountable because they don't see you or know you for, for who you are on a regular basis. And the entire thesis that undergirds the Moses model is the idea that the lead pastor has a greater anointing than the ordinary person does. And that is not in line with New Testament teaching at all. The New Testament teaching is that we all have the same Holy Spirit. We all have equal access to God and Jesus. We don't need a mediator because we have Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and man. And the only difference is that our, our roles are different and our callings are different. It's equal value. The church mirrors, you know, how what the Bible describes the marriage relationship to be, which is equal value, different roles. And so when I realized this, it, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks because it, it made me say, and this is my personal belief now, that this is not an issue of different strokes for different folks, but we all get along. This is an issue of there is one model in the New Testament, just one, just one. Mm -hmm. And the Moses model ignores what happened on Pentecost. And so to, to push that as a model is under the new covenant, unbiblical. It's theologically unsound. Amen. Let's talk just a minute about that we do not have a congregation that's biblically literate. And, and so when a pastor manipulates the scripture, the people in the pews, not pews, in the, the theater seats, the people don't get it. They don't know the scripture well enough. And, I, you know, I've heard this, and, and I guess I, I'm really curious, and this is one of the reasons I love having somebody who's been, you know, on the inside of ARC, but the sermons, I know I talked to one person who said, you know, it was weird when I was at an ARC church, it was very... One, there was a cycle. Like when I was there for like more than a year, I started to see we're recycling sermons. And then I'm seeing the social media on other art churches. And it sounds like they're doing the same thing we're doing. And she was like, and, and it's really shallow stuff too. Like, it's not like we're learning the Bible. We're learning these, you know, very feel good kind of sermons. So would you speak to that, the sermons and, and what's going on as far as teaching people at these ark churches another layer of protection is developing a biblically literate congregation there's so much in our church that i could never get away with as a pastor because our church knows the bible and not, not only do they know the bible but they know to go to the bible when mm -hmm. something seems off you know um paul mentions Again, this this is Paul, the greatest pastor who's ever lived uh, when he goes to Berea and he goes into the synagogue and he preaches. Um, Luke records that the Bereans were more noble than the people in Thessalonica because they listened to Paul with open hearts and open ears. But then they went on their own for days and searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was telling them was true. And so 
What I love about that, though, is, is the Bible doesn't say, and Paul was offended because how dare you assume right. that the word of the anointed is not good enough. It actually mm -hmm. says they were noble. That's their legacy in scripture. Paul himself is not offended. He says, praise God that they're going to the scriptures. And so I tell my church regularly this. I say, don't believe anything you hear because you hear me say it. Go and research it for yourself. Come to your own conclusions. You don't even have to agree with me, but, but don't take my word for anything. I want you to become biblically literate for yourself and a critical thinker uh, about the scriptures. And so there's some very interesting practical fa factors that go into the teaching culture in our churches. So one is because they tend to blow up and become large, they have to have more and more services. And so when you have to fit three or four services into a Sunday morning, hmm. what do you have to do? You have to shrink the length of the services. Uh, the successful art churches have services typically under an hour in length for the whole service. That's 55 minutes is very, very common because you, you got to think you got to have a service, then you got to turn all the people over. People got to get out the parking lot, the other people got to get in. And so as the service time shrinks, the length of the message shrinks. And so it's, it's very hard to teach expositionally when you've got 25 minutes. That, that's just the honest truth. You've got mm. 25 minutes. But the seeker-sensitive church planting culture actually says, listen, th this is not a problem because we live in an ADD culture and so people get bored. So you should only be teaching 25 minutes anyway or you're going to lose people's attention. And so again, the, the goal is appeasing the consumer. The goal is not, well, how much time do you need to actually explain the scriptures to somebody that's that's not the issue we've got a very tight time cap we're working with 55 minutes mm. we want to have 25 minutes of worship we got to have announcements at least 25 minutes for the message and, and and what do you want on the checklist you want people to have a positive experience in your church and so in that life-giving culture immediately it means there's a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible you are not going to want to touch. It's going to be on something positive uh, or, or a very, very felt need, what I would say. is It's, it's, it's about having an, an emotional connection. And I should share here, my, my pastor in, in, in Florida when I was there made one of the most astute observations I, I had ever heard about the role of emotion in church. And he said, and this is so true, he said, Jeff, most people, most Christians, can't tell the difference between their emotions and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so if they have an emotional experience in church, they assume that they've had a Holy Spirit experience in church. This is why Mark Driscoll could stand up at Mars Hill and call people trash and scum for an hour, and they would go, oh my, oh my gosh, I've just, I've just encountered the Spirit of God. And it's like, mm. no, no, you didn't. Your pastor just made you feel like trash. That's all, that's all that happened, you know, but pe people as assume that. And so that, that's going to be the goal of a message. And, and I know, again, many good pastors in their mind, they're saying, well, I am teaching the scripture, but it's going to be often very selective because you have such a short amount of time to work it in and you're going to teach something that's hopefully going to make somebody want to come back and, I, and obviously i am generalizing we can't say that that's what all our churches are like but if you go to any of the larger name art churches that's that's generally what you're going mm -hmm. to find and so there's, there's whole chunks of the bible that never get touched because they're they're difficult you know it's um it's tough to 
to share the parts of the Bible where, where Jesus says, you know, if you're not willing to leave father and mother for me, you're not worthy of me. <laughs> if you're not willing to walk away from everything, you're not, you're not worthy of me. And ev everybody wants to hear that God has an amazing plan for your life. So the pastors, though, are they receiving from ARC any direction on what they should preach on? Is that just a coincidence that people are noticing that there's kind of a cycle of different uh, of different things that are preached and, you know, giving is emphasized at certain times of the year and volunteerism is, is you know, emphasized at certain times. I mean, how does that work? Yeah, there's no, it's it's not like the Catholic Church where, you know, every diocese gets their reading for the week. It, it's certainly not like that. Mm -hmm. um, but but what, what does happen is it's probably most noticeable around like summer uh, because mm -hmm. summer um, generally your lower attendance time so lots of pastors don't even want to be in the pulpit in the summer because they don't want to preach to half a congregation. That's just, just that's just the reality. I'm just telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not saying that's me. I've had to just get over that. Um, and uh, and so what they look for is they look for what can we do? And, and probably the biggest example of what you're talking about is the message series every year called At the Movies that comes from Craig Rochelle's church. Lots of our churches will do an At the Movies series and they'll they'll just get everything from uh, the website is called Open Resources, uh, where lots of ARC churches put their entire sermon transcripts on there, all their artwork and everything like that. And some some of that stuff can be good, you know. If you're if you're a small church and you're doing a series on the Book of Joshua, you know, it's it's great to not have to spend hours coming up with your own artwork when you can just go and borrow from someone who's who's willing to let you use it. And th and that sort of thing is fine. But then also. In in arc uh, at arc conferences, they're gonna they're gonna teach you some systems, and that's why you'll see them show up. They're gonna teach you this is you know at the end of the year you want to do a a giving campaign toward end of year giving for people, um, and so all these different areas they're they're gonna teach churches that, and so a lot of them will take that advice and and run with it. So that that's generally where that comes from. There's no top down orders, but there's definitely a culture of let's look at the the largest, um, quote unquote, successful, most successful churches in the ark, and let's borrow what they're doing and let's do that because that's an aspirational goal in ark churches. You know, if you're an ark church, you generally your goal is to become like those churches. Bigger is better. That's the goal. Bigger, 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 bigger. Yeah. So I mean, we could talk for hours and hours um, about churches, about ark, about. The philosophy of ministry. And I, I've just so appreciated your heart because I can tell that you, you're a shepherd, you know, that's where your heart is, that you love people, you love God, you love his people. But I'm thinking of somebody that I know who, when I first started reporting on ARC, I got a text from her and she said, oh my word, my church is an ARC church. I didn't even know. Like it's not a lot of these churches, they're not like putting up up front ARC church. You know, you may not even know unless you go to the website that ARC has, which interestingly got taken down as I started reporting a lot of these stories. Now, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Church finder features gone. Yeah. The church finder is, you know, and I don't know by the time that the this podcast is published, will it be back up? I don't know. I just know that as I started reporting, coincidentally, the church finder thing was gone. So you couldn't go on the website and find and it says it's it's under construction. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But she found out she's at an ARC church and she's 
having real trouble with that right now as, as she's seeing a lot of these patterns at her own church. And she's like, can I trust my pastors? And like you said, we, this is kind of, I want to end this kind of where we began, you know, you, you on Reddit and I've seen the threads I've been on Reddit. In fact, Reddit's fantastic. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it gives a forum for people to, to share their heart and to, you know, just be able to talk about things that have been silenced for so long and to find out I'm not crazy, like somebody else experienced this. And I, I think that's really helpful for, for people. But just speak to that person right now who just feels incredibly disillusioned. Do I stay with this church? Do I leave this church? How do I bring accountability? You know, what's the solution? Yeah, uh, there are a lot of art churches out there who are led by people who genuinely love the Lord, genuinely want to please Jesus, and and this is everything they know. You know, uh, it was a like I think back. You know, five years ago, I w- I didn't know what I know now about the elder led church being the model in the New Testament. And I've I've been working in churches for two decades. There are lots of art churches that have have wonderful pastors and lead teams who love Jesus. And they might not have ever been exposed to expositional Bible preaching. They might not have ever been exposed to the the New Testament model of elders. And so I, I would just ask someone to to begin with the with that assumption, because it's more likely that that's the case than that your pastor learned all these things and said, "No, forget it. I'm going to do something awful instead." Ha ha ha. I I don't think that's the case most of the time. And I would encourage that person just to open a conversation with their pastor. Uh, about those things. Um, and then, you know, I think the response of the pastor will will reveal some things too. But, uh, you know, you, you can't expect the pastor in that conversation to be like, thank you for pointing that out. We're now going to switch to an elder-led model. You know, he's going to have to wrestle with this and, and, and think through these things, but actually ask these questions, you know, just say, how how come this is the model we see consistently in the New Testament? And yet the model we have at our church is is not elders and pastors leading the church together. It's it's a group of overseers who don't actually work at the church throughout the week. They don't interact with our people. And this is nothing like the New Testament model, but but try to graciously and gently open those conversations under the assumption that your your pastor might not have ever been exposed to this. And and, and if they love the Lord, they're they're going to think on it and it might might take a while. And so I would encourage people to be to be gracious in that regard. Um, but I would also, you know, I, I you mentioned we, we want to speak to the, the consumer as as well. And, and we hate to use that crass word, but but let's let's not pretend that that scripture doesn't prophesy that in the last days men will seek out and acquire for themselves teachers after their own lusts who will tell them what they want to hear and so so it was it's prophesied in the bible that in the last days people are going to look for the teachers who will tell them what they want to hear mm-hmm. and and so when we look at these these giant churches i would i would encourage people i would just say Look for a Bible teaching church that teaches the scriptures humbly. Uh, look for a church uh, that has pro- probably an excellent small group ministry um, where, where people get together and pray and talk about the word of God and, and, and know each other in fellowship and relationship. So I would encourage everyone to just really think through, does your church have a biblical leadership structure? Is your church taking you through the Bible, the hard parts, the difficult parts as well. Our church right now, we're teaching through the book of Revelation, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's fantastic. I mean, so often I hear people say they'll never touch Revelation. I'm like, 
why did God put it there then? I mean, we're not supposed to teach it, right? He gave it a lot of real estate. Yeah. Yeah, he certainly did. Putting you on the spot. Sure. Do you think somebody can stay in a dark church? Do you think a a pastor, knowing what you've revealed here, but also what's been coming out more and more, can stay as an ark church? I think um, if you're the pastor of an ark church, you need to ask yourself the question, why are so many, so many pastors falling into moral failure? And then I would just say you really need to evaluate the ark's response to these things when it's happening and and wrestle through the question of how should a, a pastor be restored? What is a prerequisite? You know, why are there pastors being restored where there there's no evidence of repentance? If you're in the ark, you're listening to and and getting leadership instruction from people who are leading in some unbiblical ways. And, and that's that's concerning. And that's that's why I said I, I didn't I don't want to go to another conference because now I know if I go 25% of the guys who are speaking into my life are going to have moral failures in the next five years. And I, I don't I don't want to be like that. What do I aspire to do? I, I just aspire to be faithful for Jesus for the long run. That that's it. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to please Jesus, whatever that looks like. And I'm not our church. We're not trying to be the biggest church we can. We're trying to please Jesus. And he gets to decide how big or small the harvest is. But but I, I also I want to give room too because my my parents are are two of my role models and they've they've stuck around some churches sometimes where I've said, guys, what what are you doing staying there? And they would tell me, they say, we see all the problems, but the Lord hasn't told us to leave. And because there are some churches where, you know, there are pastors who who are genuinely seeking the Lord and it's going to speak to them. I, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but I guess there's a part of me that says, at what point do we say these are false teachers? At what point do we say this is mixing light and darkness? And when it gets to a certain level of evil within the church and evil excused in the church and not just excused, but even rationalized in the church that I begin to say, I don't know that I can have fellowship with you. I think I need to break fellowship with you. And I think from what I'm seeing happening at so many of these arc churches and the failure, not, not only the failure to call them out by the leadership, but the what seems to be a willingness to even excuse it or explain it away, I would have trouble. If I were in an art church right now, I would have trouble feeling like I'm partnering with something unholy. Now, Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? We should be able to say, this is not okay. This is not a different style of church. This is, this is not a grace issue. It's just wrong. We're, we're rushing to put men back in the pulpit who have proven themselves to be wolves and we need to not do that just to be honest. So I, so I, I, I agree that things need to change. Um, and then there do, there are some very good people who love Jesus, but they need to be confronted with some unhealthy things that proxy they are condoning. And we don't want to be doing that. Well, Jeff, 
I want to thank you for taking the time for being willing to speak so openly about your experience in the ARC and, uh, God bless you with, with your church. And I know you recently merged uh, with another church and I know you're trying to walk out getting a plurality of elders. And so I just appreciate you. I hope that, uh, I hope that your church in Vancouver is, is able to really flourish. Um, but maybe not in the world's way of flourishing, of getting huge. You don't have to get a huge platform, um, but uh, to see it multiply as far as uh, the gospel reaching a, a lot of people and you being faithful. So thank you. Thank you for everything you do. And I know we both want the most pure, most beautiful bride that she can be for Jesus because he does nothing less. And that's a, that's a wonderful cause to pursue. Amen. And thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce. If you'd like to connect with me online, just go to Julie Royce, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. That's Julie Royce dot com. Also, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That way you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about the podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this important content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you have a great day and God bless.